Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. The most important event in all of human history is the resurrection. It is the resurrection that confirms that what Messiah did upon that cross was absolutely received by his heavenly father. That means the work of redemption was indeed fulfilled. It is not by coincidence or chance, but by the providence of God that Messiah died upon that tree on Passover. We have seen that the scripture uses a very informative phrase, the day of preparation. And historians tell us that this term, the preparation day, is indeed referring to Passover. And why is it so important that Messiah died on Passover? Because Passover is inherently connected to redemption. And therefore, Messiah's work of redemption, when he died upon that tree, when he poured out his blood, because God raised him from the dead, we know that God the Father received the work of redemption that his only begotten Son, the Son of God, that he performed in our behalf. Well, take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Matthew and chapter 28. The book of Matthew and chapter 28. Now, we're going to begin a two-part study of this 20th chapter, which focuses in on the resurrection. And because the resurrection is of the utmost importance, what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15? If Messiah, if he did not rise from the dead, then our faith is in vain. And because of that, there are many attacks concerning the accounts of the resurrection in the four Gospels. And one of the things we see when we look at each of these four Gospels is that women came. They came early in the morning. Now we know in John's account, he speaks first about only Mary Magdalene, her coming to the tomb alone. Then we also realize that she returned with other women, as we'll see in Matthew's account. And we see that there were different groups that came on that first Resurrection Sunday. And they came not to witness the resurrection, but they came to see that he had already been raised from the tomb. They saw an empty tomb. They did not witness him rising, but he appeared to them, as we'll see in a moment. So it's very important that we see that the Gospels speak of the resurrection account with different groups of women coming to the tomb at different times. And because they came at different times, they perceived different things. This is not in conflict 
This does not undermine the, the accuracy and the authority of the revelation, what the scripture reveals concerning his resurrection. But it gives us different perspectives, different information, so we can understand everything. And I want to emphasize that, that we can understand everything that God would have us to know concerning his resurrection. So look with me, as I said, Matthew 28, and we're going to begin in verse 1. We read here, but after Shabbat. So Shabbat is that seventh day of the week, commonly referred to in English as Saturday. So it was after Saturday, which means it was the first day of the week. Now that first day begins with the setting of the sun. What you might call Saturday night is in fact biblically the first day of the week. But here, when we read it correctly, it says, but after Shabbat or Sabbath, with the lighting, some scriptures, and this is fine, says with the dawning. So it speaks of the word here is the word for becoming light. When light was upon the horizon. So as it was becoming light on the first of the week. Now, it may be surprising to you to know that the term Shabbat or Sabbath biblically has a couple different understandings meaning. For Shabbat can be just what we talked about, that seventh day of the week. But we can also have a very unique expression. And this is done in legal documents of Judaism, for example. There is what's known as the ketubah, the marriage document. And depending upon what day you marry in the week, it will say, Achad be Shabbat, Sheni be Shabbat, which means the first of Shabbat. And here Shabbat has the connotation of a week. And that's why it says in verse 1, but after Shabbat. Then it says on the first day of Shabbat, which means on the first day of the week. So there's no question when we examine and understand religious legal documents from the Jewish, Jewish law, we find that this tells us that it's the first day of the week or Sunday. And what happened early in the morning as light was becoming to shine? It says, Mary Magdalene. She came and the other Mary and they came for what reason? Look at the end of verse 1, it says, to see. And this word for seeing has to do with having a, a right perspective. It's a word that relates to seeing something for the purpose of understanding. So they're coming there to see the tomb, but the reader is informed that they're going to see and understand something there is going to be something revealed to them that is going to give them great understanding of this event. What is going on? Now look at verse 2. We read, And behold, there came about a great earthquake. Now, earthquakes are mentioned frequently in the Scripture. We see that, for example, in the Old Testament, and one of the frequent occurrences of earthquakes in prophecy has to do with the events concerning 
the last days. And an earthquake, biblically speaking, speaks about something that is going to have great significance, relevance for who? All the earth. So it is very significant. It is most informing that in this passage that emphasizes the resurrection, that the resurrection realization, its revealing, has to do and accompanied with an earthquake to remind us, Yeshua, that is Jesus of Nazareth, being raised from the tomb, we see something. We see that that event has worldwide implications, meaning this, it is relevant for you. It took place for you. Now we know something. We know that the resurrection is related to kingdom, but also resurrection is, is related to victory. If you read what Paul says, it says, Oh, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? Because Messiah rose from the dead, death has been defeated. Death no longer has that sting. Why? Because Messiah. He was crucified in taking our punishment, what we deserve, because each one of us, we are sinners. He took that punishment. Therefore, death does no longer have a sting. It doesn't have victory, dominion over us. Because with his resurrection, just like we died with him, Paul says in Romans chapter 6, we also believe, and this is our faith, that we will be, be risen as well. And we will experience that kingdom life, just like Messiah's resurrection demonstrates. So look again at the text. And behold, there came about a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and he went before and removed, and this is rolled away, the stone from the door. This would be the entrance into the tomb. And what did he do? And he was sitting upon it. So here's this angel. Now again, we see in other gospel accounts from the Bible, speaks about more than one angel. Well, the fact that there was one here is not a conflict. Matthew is just emphasizing this one angel that had the responsibility, and it's very significant, an angel of the Lord. That phrase, angel of the Lord, also is coming to us when we look at that phrase in the Old Testament. We see that the angel of the Lord always he always conveys salvation victory deliverance a, a overcoming of the enemy once more for the purposes of god's plan to be fulfilled so it's most significant that we see here that it was the angel of the lord that had come down from heaven he went before he removed meaning rolled away the stone from the door and he was sitting upon it. Verse 3. And his appearance was as lightning. And the clothing, his clothing, white as snow. Now, this all has to do with purity. And what he's going to reveal, in the same way that his appearance is, is that of clarity, purity. Purity. 
that which can be believed. That's what purity and, and whiteness speaks of. And therefore, in the same way that his clothes were, were pure, so is his revelation. In other words, so too can we believe what he's going to share to the women who are there having come to the tomb. And what did he do? Now look at verse 4. He comes, he does that, he reveals, and here's what's important. He reveals an empty tomb. And it says, from his fear, the guards. It says, those who were guarding, meaning those who were guarding the tomb. What happened? They were made to tremble. This is an expression which speaks about great fear. So these guards who were commissioned, commanded to guard the tomb, we know elsewhere, they departed, they ran, but notice what it says here. Before they left and departed, what do we know? Because of this great fear, these guards who were soldiers, they were made to tremble and they became as dead ones, dead men. Verse 5. Now, this, this revealing of, of the angel, it was primarily for the women. We're going to see that women play an important role in regard to resurrection, Yeshua's resurrection from the dead. And I've shared many, many times when the emphasis is upon women, the context turns to redemption. And all the scriptures telling us is this, that it is because of his resurrection in the same way that he rose bodily from the dead, having victory over sin. We know that through redemption that we can experience that kingdom victory having deliverance over this world and what has stained this word world and that is sin so look at verse 5 the angel answered he said and this is important he said to the women do not fear you now most bibles will simply say do not fear but the word you appears in the text and it's for emphasis. He is commanding these women, there's no reason to be afraid. And why not? Because of the resurrection. The resurrection confirms the hope that we should have. And hope is not a, a wish, but hope is a reality because the hope in the Bible is based upon the promises of God. So he's saying there's no reason to fear, to be afraid. Because this act, the resurrection, confirms all the promises of God. Look again at verse 5. He says, do not fear, for I know that Yeshua, the one who has been crucified. Now, I would underline that, that phrase in, in Greek. It's just one word. And what's important is this. It speaks about him being crucified. That's in the passive meaning it was done to him but it's also in the tense, in the perfect. And this speaks about the sovereignty of God. It emphasizes the foreknowledge of God because he was the one who was, he, he has been crucified, and that crucifixion has implications into the future. 
So it's very significant that this phrase, that he has been crucified, this one Yeshua, speaks of the fact that it was God's plan, and the fact it was God's plan now, understand this properly. I mentioned a few minutes ago, it speaks about God's foreknowledge. God is sovereign, and he is free to use his foreknowledge, him knowing everything. When did he know everything? Always. There was never a time that God did not know something. He knows the future. When? Always in the past. He knows everything. Fully omniscient. And therefore, he knew what was going to happen. He can utilize that, but he was not the cause of it. His plan was, was related to, because of his foreknowledge, what he knew they wanted to do to him. He knew it, and therefore he utilized that. And what am I speaking about? Well, again, so much of Messiah's work, his teaching, the events that he did relates to Torah truth, which has to do with the laws of God. And if you look in the book of Deuteronomy, and we've studied this, we've spent some time discussing it, but there's a scripture that says, cursed is the one that is hung upon the tree. He was crucified. He just didn't die. He died. But it was most significant that he died through crucifixion. And because of that, he became a curse for you and for me. He took the curse when he died. And death and curse is related to the punishment of the law. Now, what is left? Life and blessing. And what we find here is that Torah does not mediate, does not give life, but it teaches us about how to live in a way that we can be blessed. What gives us eternal life? Redemption. So it Messiah's death, the shedding of his blood, these two things, a Passover offering has to be killed, and the blood is of the utmost significance. And therefore, we have redemption, not just redemption. As the writer of Hebrews says, we have eternal redemption. So now let's look at the end of verse 5. The angel says, you know, we know that it is Yeshua, the one who has been crucified, that you are, and he says, seeking. But here's the problem. These women came expecting to find a dead body in the tomb. They were concerned about that large rock who would roll it away. But when they got there, that rock by the angel, we've been taught that, was already removed. And they did not see a corpse in the tomb. The tomb was empty. Why? Well, because Yeshua had already risen from the dead. But we're going to learn a very important truth that most Bibles ignore. And what is that? Now we're ready for verse 6. The angel is still speaking to the women, and he says, He is not here. Why isn't he here? Now notice the next word in the text. It speaks for, and this is where most Bibles get it wrong. They neglect the fact that this verb comes to us in the passive voice. You say, what does that mean? It means that although Yeshua, that he is risen from the dead, the text doesn't say that. 
It gives us another most important theological truth. What it says here, and this is how we have to translate it, it says that he has been raised from the dead. How did that happen? Well, as the scripture says other places, it was God the Father, and hear this, it was God the Father who had raised him from the dead. Now, I know the scripture, and you do too, where Messiah speaks, I, I'm going to lay down my life, I have the authority to lay it down and pick it up. That's true. But here's what we need to see. He did not pick it up through his own power. He could have. But what we see is that, that Messiah, God the Son, in order to be a perfect example to us, he was always, always submissive to his heavenly Father, as you and I should be. And therefore, the scriptures emphasizing is that Messiah, he was raised from the dead. By who? God the Father. And as I said, as we open up the study, the fact that it was God the Father who raised him from the dead, that fact speaks of God's sanction, his approval, his acceptance, him saying yes to the work of Messiah. It is the resurrection that confirms to us that everything that Messiah did was perfect. It was absolutely, fully, totally accepted by the Father. So his death, his work of redemption was received. That is one of the primary facts surrounding the, the truth that God the Father raised him from the dead. So if your Bible says simply, he is risen or he was risen, not the correct. It should say, and he was raised. This is what the scripture says. For he has been raised, just as he said. Behold, he says, come and see the place where he was lying. Now, this is important because this phrase for come and see the place where he, and pay attention to this, was lying. This is in the imperfect. So the fact that the verb for lying, putting a dead body and that body was laying there, the fact that it's in the imperfect tense calls the reader to expect a change. He was lying there, but we expect with the use of the imperfect that he's not going to continue to lie there. And it's all to foreshadow, to confirm, to convey to the reader that there was a change, that he has been raised from the dead. So come and see the place where the Lord was lying. Verse 7, and quickly go and, and say to his disciples that, and again, the same phrase appears, that he has been raised, that's what the scripture says, that he has been raised from the dead. Not that he rose from the dead, now he did rise from the dead, but what's emphasized again is that he has been raised from the dead. He was passive, there was another one that caused him to rise from the dead, and that is his heavenly father. And all the significance of that fact brings to the text. Middle of verse 7. And behold, he goes before you into Galilee, and there him you will see. 
Now, the way it's rendered here in the original language where it says, and there him you will see, once again puts the fact that they are going to see him, it puts it in the emphatic. It emphasizes that he is going to be seen there in Galilee. And what have we learned about Galilee? Well, we learned that Galilee, that word, has to do with revealing. It is not by chance that Messiah says to them, in Galilee, you're going to see me. So just as Messiah has promised. So behold, says, go for you in Galilee, you will see him because he's going to go there before you. Verse, verse eight at the, or verse seven at the end, behold, I have said this to you. Now verse eight. And they, they went quickly from the two, tomb with fear and great joy. Now, I like the fact that these two things accompany. They were fearful. Why? Because they did not have the right expectation. They did not come to the tomb, although he said over and over that he was going to rise from the dead. They did not come with the right expectation. And when we're not thinking correctly, it's going to manifest fear. But also, because of this great proclamation that he is not dead, but that he has been raised from the dead, they also had, and what's emphasized here, is great joy. So what did they do? They ran to proclaim to his disciples. Now verse 9. And as they were going to proclaim to his disciples. What happens? And behold, Yeshua met them and said to them, and it's this same concept, rejoice. So we see here that it's emphasized that because he has been raised from the dead, there is joy. It is the resurrection that is the source of joy for your life. And it's not just an earthly joy, but here's the biblical truth. It is a kingdom joy. The fact that Messiah has been raised from the dead gives us a joy that relates to a kingdom experience. Always resurrection is related to the kingdom. So behold, Yeshua met them, saying rejoice. And then look at the end of verse, verse 9 where it says, And they went before, meaning went before him, and they, they seized his feet. And what did they do? And they worshiped him. Now, this is important because we see that Messiah is indeed worthy to be worshiped. And I cannot overestimate or overemphasize how important it is that the Bible says that they worshiped him. Last verse, verse 10. Then Yeshua says to them, do not fear, but go away to proclaim to, and instead of my disciples, he says, my brethren. Showing that because of the resurrection and the work of redemption being fulfilled, there's a new relationship that he has with his followers. In order that they go into the Galilee because of why? There, me, they will see. And again, me is being emphasized, beholding the resurrected Messiah. What a glorious truth that we need to believe.
Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel.